Morning. My name is Pastor Daniel. I am uh, one of the lead pastors here, and uh, we are starting a new series for the next four weeks called Analog. Uh, we're going to take a look at the early church. So if you back up uh, in the life of our church about four weeks or so, uh, we spent three weeks looking at Jesus in John 1, inviting his disciples, the, the original invitation right at the beginning of his ministry, uh, the disciples to come and see. And so we looked at three different ways in which that happened in John 1. They were invited to come and experience who Jesus was. And then last week at Easter, we talked about when Jesus looks at his disciples after they've been following him for quite some time and then says to them, come and follow. And that invitation to follow him actually was a very deep invitation because they were already following him or so they thought. And he had to then explain what that would mean, what it would look like to really die to yourself and pick up your cross every day and follow Jesus. And so that's really what we worked on last week. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast forward just slightly. Um, Jesus, what we covered at Easter is the resurrection and Jesus has been resurrected. Then he has appeared to his disciples in a couple different ways and, and places. And then he appears in the upper room. And so he tells the disciples in Acts 1, after he appears there, and, and they see him in the flesh, and uh, Doubting Thomas gets to, to touch his scars. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, that's everybody's favorite thing to do, right? It's wait. That's why we, yeah, we love waiting. And so they wait, and they pray for about a month or so. And then... What we see is the Holy Spirit descends upon them at what we call Pentecost. There's a gathering that happened to be a festival in Jerusalem at the time. They begin preaching in actually different languages. They don't even realize this. And they preach this message of salvation. And it says men were cut to the heart and all these people come to Christ. And that's Acts 1 and 2. And they go from about 120 disciples it's about what they had, about 120 followers of Jesus. It says 3,000 souls came to Christ in that day. So we went from 120 to 3,120. That's, uh, I'm not doing the math here, but that's a lot of growth. Like, if you, if you really like logistics and planning, you're probably pulling your hair out at that point. And then the early church forms, because what do we do with all these people? How, how do we follow Jesus now? What does it look like to do this? What does it look like to become what we will later hear called the bride of Christ or the church? And so at the end of Acts 2, we begin to see the very first things that the believers do as they come to Christ, become a body or an assembly. And so I want to look at those today. And I just want to read through what that looks like in terms of what is the church? What, what do we do in, in the body of Christ? What, what are these things that they did? Here, here's why. Um, every once in a while, you'll, you'll be following like a, a professional athlete. Maybe, a, maybe Tiger Woods, back, back in the day, I actually heard that he did this, and you hear this with baseball players sometimes. They're professional athletes, and they'll go through in the offseason, and they'll rebuild their swing. So they'll start from scratch like they know nothing, even though they're, they're the best at what they do. And they'll start from the very foundation of what they've got to learn, and they'll try to relearn it to ensure that they're, they're doing all the right things. And if you look across churches in America, what you're going to see is that even Sunday gatherings look very different, Right? Yes, some of you have actually seen, like, like somewhere in America right now, they're up on stage praising the Lord, and there's like fog rolling out and lasers, you, you, right? And like maybe someone like coming down on a zip line or trapping, no, probably not that. But anyways, there's a lot going on. And yet there's probably another place where they, they don't even use instruments. And so the entire Sunday assembly is like very quiet, very reverent, very, very low key, no, no music other than the singing of the congregational voices. And I'm not telling you that any of those things is bad. Like I, I didn't tell you that so you could, you could think about the ways you don't like or whatever. What I'm telling you is that if they foundationally get the core things right, if they're elevating Jesus, if they're making much about Jesus Christ, then who cares? It's different, but what are the important things? What are the things that we have to ensure that we major on that the rest of our assembly and the rest of our church, the rest of our faith is built upon because if we get those wrong, who knows where we'll end up? And what are the things that we think are super important, but when we open the Bible and we read it, we find out, wow, that's not even in there. That's weird. Thought it was. So that's what I want to look at. And so for four weeks, we're going to look at uh, the early church. The first three weeks, we're going to be the same passage of about seven verses or so. And in the fourth week, we're going to jump one chapter forward and look at one more story from the early church as we go through Acts. Remember, Acts is really just a history book. It is an account 
uh, from Luke, just writing out what happened. So let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what we'll be uh, looking at for over the course of the next three weeks. We're gonna pick a part of this and we're gonna move forward. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first thing that we see in this list, which is this idea of a corporate gathering where we come together in a larger assembly. Why did the believers continue to gather in a, in a larger assembly? Uh, in this case, the example we're given is at the temple because it was a larger spa- space and worship together. And what was this apostles teaching that they were looking at? Because that's what we see in 42 and 46. We see they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship. And in 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So there's two types of gatherings that are going on here. There's a corporate gathering, a large gathering, and there's these small intimate gatherings that are happening at homes. Both are important. In fact, as we begin to study the scripture, as we begin to talk through this, what you're going to find is both are critical to the life of a believer. Both are indispensable. Both are important. You actually can't do one and not the other and think things are going to continue in a healthy manner when it comes to worshiping the Lord and following Christ. Now, there's a phrase in here that I really think is important, and this is what we're going to break down. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And so I, I, just, I want to know what it looks like to devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to talk about what does it look like to devote ourselves to the fellowship And again, we talked a second ago about there's a lot of different flavors of church gatherings in the United States. And really at the core of this, are are we doing this? Are we devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Are we devoting ourselves to the fellowship? Because if we hold this in high regard, if we understand what it is and we're doing it, it it sounds like we're doing what they were doing in the Bible. But if we're not, I think I I would just submit to you that we, we have a problem. Because... If you think you're doing something that's biblical and you open the Bible and you find out that the Bible says something different, this isn't rocket science, but I would say you should check yourself before you riggedy break. No, so you should check yourself if you think it's one way and the Bible says it's another way because maybe what you've learned is extra biblical. Maybe it's veered off course. Maybe it started with good intentions, but it didn't end up in a good place. Do we... Just ask yourself this. Do I devote myself to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship? Now, we haven't really gotten into what that is, but this is a question for you to ask by the end of the service. Do I do this? Do I devote myself to these things? Here's what I would tell you. Church attendance in the United States has been on decline for over 50 years. Every year it goes down just a little bit until we hit COVID, and then it went down a lot of bit, like a lot, a lot of bit. Like you guys have seen when um, the coyote is running after the roadrunner and he runs out off the cliff and he's still running and not realizing that he's off the cliff and then all of a sudden he realizes it and he just drops straight down. That's a visual representation of church attendance in America, in case you needed a graph. Off a cliff, off a cliff. Since COVID, before COVID, the year before COVID, 75% of the United States responded that they went to church at least once a year. After COVID, only 67% of Americans attend church once a year. This is millions of people now don't even go to church once a year. Those who attend church once, one or two times a month, that number was 34% before COVID. And as soon as we got to post-COVID, that number is down to 28%. You're talking about millions of Americans now that either no longer go to church or go to church significantly less than they did to right before COVID. Of those who consider themselves to be active churchgoers, engaged in church, the average attendance on a Sunday morning is 2.4 times a month. Now, uh, I'm not a math major, but I think in terms of percentages, that's really bad. 2.4 times a month is the average for people that are engaged in church. 
that are actively part of the church body. I would just tell you that number to me does not sound like devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It sounds like accidental. Why was it so important in the early church? What is it that they were doing in the corporate gathering that was so critical and foundational to the formation of the church? Well, let's look at two things that we see in the verse. One says devoted, the other says apostles' teaching. Devoted is actually this long Greek word with a lot of syllables. It's proskerterontes, proskerterontes. It's a big old long word, lots of, lots of syllables. And it is, it is translated in English. We, you see devoted in a lot of translations, but it actually would be uh, steadfastly continuing, meaning that it, it, the, the term that the Greek word is in is ongoing. So it's a present tense ongoing verb that means we are committed to it. That word is used in other places in the New Testament. It's used back in the first chapter of Acts when they're up in the upper room and, and Jesus tells them to stay and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. And it says that they're just unceasingly praying. They're, they're committed to praying in the upper room. It's the same word. And, and later in Romans uh, and later in Acts, we'll see it used twice more where it's talking about how we should be committed to prayer. That we should be steadfastly committed to ongoing prayer. And in First Thessalonians, we'll see that we're actually supposed to pray unceasingly. So you can kind of parallel these together. We're meant, or the, in the early church, the members of the early church were, were convictionally convinced they need to be dedicated to this assembly of the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were diligent about it. So, so if I'm, I'm trying to find the, the best literal translation for proscarantes, just think of, um, probably the technical version would be big stinking deal. It was a big stinking deal. It was a big deal. This assembly was a big deal. They were committed to it. You didn't miss. It was important. We prioritized it in our life. We didn't go when there wasn't a little league game. Yeah, they didn't have little league, you're saying. But that's fine. You know what I'm saying, right? It was at the top of the list. And that begs the question, well, what, well then what was the apostles teaching? What, 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 what was this teaching and fellowship in the temple? And I think it's actually pretty normal to be a little bit confused about what the, the teaching or preaching or what, you know, what was it uh, in the New Testament because the New Testament actually is a little bit vague, uses a lot of different words about preaching and teaching that sometimes I think get a little bit confusing. Gerhard Friedrich, who helped write the theological dictionary for the New Testament, said that there are 33 different words in Greek that are used in the New Testament that we have all translated all those words to either preaching or proclamation. And so... There's a lot of different contexts in the New Testament for what I would just call the ministry of the word. And so I want to briefly talk about the variety of gifts and context of the ministry of the word. I think it's important for all of us to understand that so that we can understand what they were doing at the temple and so we can understand what we do during the week from Monday through Saturday. So I want to answer three questions for you today. The first is this. What is the difference between teaching and preaching? So we're going to answer that question. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? And if you couldn't answer that question before you got here, hopefully you'll be able to answer that question when you leave. Secondly, I want to answer what are the spiritual gifts that involve the ministry of the word? So we find a number of spiritual gifts in the uh, portions of the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts that you are given at the moment of salvation. And a number of them are part of the ministry of the word, meaning ministry of the word of God to the people of God. And then lastly, I want to talk about the... Um, I want to talk about the impact of Scripture in each of these different areas of the ministry of the Word. So, with the Word of God, I, I, I want to submit to you that there are, and, and there are many theologians that think this, so I didn't come up with this, but that there are three levels of ministry of the Word. And I want to talk about the first one. And the first one is, um, we'll just call this level one, ministry of the Word. Level one is small, intimate, and personal teaching, encouragement, counsel, and correction. Small, intimate teaching, encouragement, and correction. So, um, Peter Adam, who is an Australian, uh, Australian theologian, argues that if we were really to begin to look at all of these 33 different words in the New Testament, um, that are, we translate as preaching and, and, and proclamation, that actually it's pretty easy to tell that not all of them were public preaching in front of the assembly. There's clearly some of these, these words and these verses are talking about these one-on-one -on -one relationships. And some of them are talking about smaller groupings that aren't necessarily big public things. And so 
us differentiating kind of the usage of these gifts, I think, is important. Um, Level one is the most intimate, the one-on-one stuff. And let me read you three verses that kind of explain this. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, right? So this is now person to person, Christian to Christian, man to man, woman to woman, personal level, admonishing one another in all wisdom. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. At, At the most intimate level, listen to me, every Christian, say me, Okay, every Christian is called to teach, to admonish, that's to give good counsel, to encourage, to show honor, to build up. Everyone. So, so not just those with the gift of teaching, not just elders, pastors, preachers. Every Christian, according to these verses, is called to impact another brother or sister in Christ by being able to teach and speak through the word of God, encouragement, wise counsel, um, exhortation, correction. Like we use the word of God, if you're a believer, to impact positively other believers one-on-one. Does this make sense? No one is like dizzy yet, right? You're so dizzy you can't say yes. Okay, uh, here's why I need this to make sense. Um, I've only been a primary preaching pastor for about 18 months, but I mean, I've been in ministry for 12 years and I've been a Christian for even longer. And so I would tell you like the number of times I've, I've, I've preached a sermon is very small compared to the number of times that I've met with a brother in Christ over coffee, over lunch, over breakfast, to, to, to encourage them, to have them encourage me, to pour into them, to have them invest in me. Like I've had count, I can't even count the number of conversations and that is the ministry of the word. I'm encouraging someone. I'm giving them counsel. I'm I'm receiving that, the correction. I I mean, that is paramount to the Christian life. All I'm saying is please, guys, please, please, don't make us build a program to get you to do this. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, we shouldn't have to come up with a ministry to get you to go to coffee with somebody else and be like, hey, brother, what's going on in your life? Right? I mean, holy cow, that would be awful. We're going to need a program to, no, just look at somebody and be like, I'm not sure I know you. I don't know you either. Can you want to go to coffee? Yeah, let's go to coffee. Right? We're going to open up the word of God and be like, tell me what's going on in your life. And you're telling me, and, and, and you're worried about what's going on, and, and I get to speak truth to you through scripture as a brother in Christ. And you're like, wow, man, that, yeah, you're right. I've been encouraged. Didn't need a program. Didn't need a ministry. Didn't need a pastor to tell you. It's, it's just literally doing what's in the Bible. Yes? Okay. It's important because this is really the Christian life. How we sharpen one another. How we impact one another. Why we're a body of Christ. Is that this is happening. This is level one, ministry of the word. This is just what occurs. About a year ago or so, because we're always looking for ways to try to enhance this in the church. Like, I encourage you to do this. And so we actually have this communications platform called Discord, where when you get in, there's channels for different ministries and there's general channels. And the thing about Discord that's really interesting is if you're in our church Discord, you automatically have access to every pastor, every elder, every staff member, everybody else that's in Discord. You can message them. Hey, let's go to coffee. Hey, how you doing? I know we had coffee last week and you told me you're, you need prayer about this and I've been praying about this and I just want to let you know. Instead of having every person's cell phone in the church, in Discord, you could, it's that level of access. Does this make sense? Why, why do we want to do that? Because we want you guys to talk and go to coffee and go to lunch and pray for one another. Because it's what we see in the Bible. It's level one ministry of the word. Now, there's another level of this, and I'll call this level two. And this is where we get into sort of the various usages of the, the gifts spiritual gifts that are part of the ministry of the word. And so let me explain that in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, the Bible says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So 
If you're using your spiritual gift in this way, if you're, as you're speaking the word of God, you're literally, it says, as if you're speaking the words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So there are ministries of the word. There are spiritual gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, that we see in Romans, in Ephesians 4 and 5. We see these gifts like teaching. We see a gift like writing. We see a gift of exhortation, a gift of evangelism, a gift of encouragement. So, so when we utilize these gifts, and I'm not talking even about preaching, when we just utilize these gifts around this ministry of the word of God, it comes through scripture, it's not necessarily preaching, but it's absolutely impactful and necessary for Christian life. Has anyone ever been to a good Bible study? Four of you. Five, six. Can I get any takers on seven? Can I hear eight? Have any of you ever been to a good Bible study? Thank you. Wow. We need up, up the coffee intake here. Or gone to a good Sunday school class. I mean, Pastor Vance has taught a Sunday school class off and on and Bible studies and adult classes for 40 years. They're amazing. That's not preaching, but does it edify? Does it encourage? Does it build up? Absolutely. Can you imagine if someone's like, well, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not going to use this gift of writing. Has anyone ever read a phenomenal book about Jesus, about the ministry, about the faith? I mean, man, some of the most impactful things that have happened in my life have have come from reading a a phenomenal book about something where I'm like, oh, A.W. Tozer, Little book, big impact. The gift of evangelism, the gift of encouragement. We would call these these level two ministries of the word. Um, Tonight, we'll do supercharge. We do that once a month. Uh, We develop leaders in there. We have group leaders. We have team leaders. It's open to anybody, but we we particularly uh, are always inviting our leaders to come in there so we can pour into them, so we can work on discipling them and growing them. It's a class. It's not preaching, but it's ministry of the word. And it's important. This is Res. We have a class that'll start up on a Wednesday, either this week or next week. And it's, we'll get in there and we'll introduce ourselves and we'll start telling our story. Hey, here's how, here's how I met God. Here's who I know God to be. And in that process, that's teaching, that is exhortation, we'll build each other up. Even though it's not preaching, it's a ministry of the word. And then the third level of ministry of the word is this idea of preaching. Now, I told you that I would talk to you about the difference between preaching and teaching because they are different. They're not the same thing. And and I want to explain why they're different because why they're different matters and it really has an impact on why we would gather on Sunday morning, okay? So let's see if we can get through this. There are four things that I believe are critical in preaching. They're essential and they may or may not ever show up in someone just teaching a class or or writing a book. So they may be there, but but they don't have to be there to be good teaching, but they have to be there in preaching, in this third level, in this proclamation, okay? Four things. I'm gonna give them to you all all up front so you can write them all down so you don't miss anything. For those of you that love note-taking, here they are. Exclamation, elevation of Christ, exhortation, and expectancy. That's right, they all start with E because I'm Baptist. (laughs) Exclamation. Okay, the actual word that would be better for this is proclamation, but it didn't start with E, so I couldn't use it. You put that in parentheses, proclamation, exclamation, proclamation. What is it? When we preach versus when we teach, when we preach the word of God, we are boldly declaring the truths of God. Oftentimes, when we're preaching the truths of God, it is out to or against a dark world that is lost. So we are preaching, boldly proclaiming that what's in here is true and what you may have seen out there is not true, that what's in here is the truth, what's out there is false, what's in here is the light, what's out there is the dark. So we are boldly proclaiming or sending forth the very words of God because we believe that the word of God has power in it when it goes forth. And so we send it forth. So the public preaching of Christ to the Christian assembly is an irreplaceable element of the Christian faith with boldness, with passion, proclaiming the truths of the gospel. So it is a proclamation, it's an exclamation, it's different than teaching. So while you might uh, be able to sort of, uh, without authority, without real exclamation, you might be able to give me facts in a good class that will not make a good sermon because we're proclaiming it. Secondly, the elevation of Christ. 
Preaching is about the elevation of Christ. You can teach a class on a lot of things. Preaching is about the elevation of Christ. When we preach, we preach Christ crucified. The goal of public preaching is to elevate God. The the preacher is not here to entertain you uh, or to educate you as much as to urge you to help you see that Jesus is more than you're giving him credit for. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24 says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The preacher's job, preacher's purpose, when we, when we proclaim the truth of scripture, is to elevate Christ so that you see him. He is so much bigger than you think he is. He's so much more beautiful than you think he is. I once heard that the gospel is like a gemstone that's been cut so intricately that every time you turn it slightly, you see something new that you've never seen before and you can appreciate. And it's the preacher's job to engage in the text to get you to see it's more than you're giving it credit for. It's more than you think it is. It's bigger, it's better, he's holier. He's more just, he's more able. We're elevating Christ together publicly. Now, the second thing, or third thing, that's the second, elevation of Christ. The the third thing is exhortation. When we preach, we're engaging the authoritative words of God. You, You can't do that lightly. You just can't. You you can't engage the authority, the truth of all truths lightly, flippantly. There's just no way to do it. When a preacher preaches, their hope is that they're engaging so well in the authoritative words of God as they declare the words of God that you're not hearing their opinion at all. In fact, I would actually tell you that a, a, a sermon in which most of what you hear is the opinion of a preacher is a terrible sermon. It's not that that, that opinions can't be there. It's it's not, that's not what we preach. It's not a lecture. It's not a TED talk. It's, it's, we are proclaiming, we're exhorting the very authority of the Bible. I'm speaking out the authority of the Bible. When when I prepare for a a sermon, all week long I'm I'm prepping and I'm praying and I'm writing things down and my whiteboard is full of stuff and somebody in the office has probably heard the sermon three times already and they're tired of me talking about it which is what I do, but then I get to Sunday morning and here's my prayer. My prayer is that God would, like we see in the Bible, touch my lips with that burning hot coal, that he would, he would literally empty me of words that I would come up with. That would, it would be so much less Daniel and so much more Jesus because I don't want you to see anything about Daniel. I just want you to see Jesus. And so there's, there's work that has to happen. There's reverent work that has to happen where I get down on my face and I ask God, just would you take me out of this? I don't want them to see me. I want them to see you. And I want them to see you more clearly. And, and what that means though, what that means for the preacher is because that's the goal and because that's what we're trying to do, that I can't do this without angst. <laughs> like it, I, I have an urgency that you would see Christ in a sermon. And I can't be like emotionally removed from it. Like off to the side, well, like a, like a buffet. Like, well, I made it. I hope you like it, you know? I gave you all the facts over there. I hope you make a wise decision, but it's not gonna bother me. It bothers me. If you don't see how good he is, it bothers me. If you were to listen to the word of God and walk away unchanged, it wrecks me. It, how could it otherwise? So we're exhorting you, we're urging you, we're pleading with you. See him, love him, experience him. Understand that he will change you. The preacher wants you to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and then live out what you learn in this word out in the world as you leave. Now, those first three, the, the exclamation or the proclamation of the authority of the word of God and the elevation of Christ and the exhortation, all three of those, mostly the preacher can do on their own. They don't really need your participation one way or another. I mean, they just need to do those things. The fourth thing though, 
man. The fourth thing is not just the preacher, not just the worship band, not just the staff, but if you don't do the fourth thing, we're in real trouble. And, and we've all probably, if we've been around churches long enough, been in services where we did not participate in this point. And when we didn't, everything fell flat. It's expectancy. Expectancy. We do this in the corporate assembly so that it's not one-sided. It's not simply a preacher preaching at you and you sitting and wondering whether or not you'll be entertained today. Instead, I expect when I open up the word of God and I come to you to proclaim and exhort you from the word of God, I expect God to move and fill this place and change your life. I don't hope it. I don't go, well, maybe it'll happen today. I expect it to happen. I expect it to happen because he tells us it will happen. Now, when I say I I expect God to move and the Holy Spirit to fill this place, I want to be very careful uh, because I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of how the Holy Spirit works. Understand, understand that the Holy Spirit indwells you at the moment of salvation. You never lose the Holy Spirit. But then there there are these times where we attune our hearts to God and we begin to reverently praise him and thank him and love him and and especially in the corporate assembly, what gets stirred up is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on top of us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way and all of a sudden lives are getting changed. And we see this in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. If you turn to Ephesians 5, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians. So when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not saying like, oh, you lost the Holy Spirit, you know, because you you watched that show on Netflix that you weren't supposed to. That's not how that works. You always have the Holy Spirit. But, But clearly there's this thing in the corporate gathering when we sing when we make hymns and songs and spiritual songs, when we make melody to the Lord of their heart, when we attune our, our, ourselves to God, when we get together and, and the word of God is proclaimed, that God will fill us with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we get to watch that happen. It happens to us and it happens around us and we get to be part of it. And it happens largely in the corporate gathering. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. At the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, we see the impact of the Holy Spirit on that crowd. It says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Listen to me. We, we expect God to move in our midst when we gather together and we make much of him and we proclaim his praise together. We expect him to fill us with a, a, the Holy Spirit in a new way, an overwhelming way to express himself, to move us, to change us. It's more than an emotional high, but rather spiritual transformation that happens in this corporate gathering. Now, I'm sitting there and I'm going through my notes and I'm writing this stuff and I get to this line of, I expect God to move. And God, this morning, is like, but do you? And I was like, yeah. I, and he's like, uh, no, 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 no. Every Sunday? And I was like, no, no, I don't, no, I don't, because it gets routine, because you get busy, you get distracted, you get working on things you need to do and you stop expecting God to move, You, you, you get you get disturbed, even at times depressed by what you think is the lack of response from your congregation. I mean, there are, there are Sundays where I, I could swear everyone is glued to their pew. Like, I don't know what we put on there, but it's sticky, and no one seems to be able to move, and their hands are stuck to their side. We might as well just going through a funeral. And so I lose expectancy. And so I had to sit this morning just in repentance and in tears, because that's my failure. And God's like, do, do you expect me to move in power when you open up the word of God, regardless of your performance, you expect my word to do powerful work. Because that's what the Bible says. When we open up this word, we expect him to move in miraculous ways. 
This is some of my angst around online church. And online church has been a great thing, particularly through COVID, right? Our ability to like get to people in their homes when they, weren't, they couldn't get here. Our ability to get uh, the service into homes when they're shut-ins, they can't even leave their house. Our ability to get this thing out to people who are homesick with kids that can't go or what, what I mean, that, man, that's really cool. The, pr- the problem with online church is that how, sitting on your couch, did you have this expectant heart that you're going to see God move and the people on your left and your right when you turn left and right and all you see is sofa cushions? Because part of the corporate assembly is not just that God is doing work in here, it's that I turn over here and that person's weeping and I turn over here and that person just breaks out in praise because God's doing work all around me and that stirs me up and that encourages me and that gets me, keeps me going because that's what actually happens when we're expecting that God will move. But it's really hard to do solo on my couch. It just is. And I don't know a way to get around it. You know what else you can't do on your couch that's amazing that happens in the corporate assembly? When you come in here, there's gonna be someone, this happens all the time, that sits next to you that you don't really like. I mean, let's be, I'm just being real. I know God told me to love them, but I don't have to like them. Wrong. God bless you. No, you actually have to learn to like them and love them. It's part of the process. And the thing is that when you come into the corporate assembly, you don't get to choose. That's why people love staying on their couch at home. Don't have to get, get ready. Don't have to get anyone ready. Don't have to put up with that one person that I really don't like. <laughs> you know Karen. <laughs> you come in here and God starts to move and he starts to move in your heart and he starts to move in Karen's heart and you're impacted by that and you're like, There's 70, this week there'll be 70 sessions online of people. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they think they're part of our church or not. I don't know if, if they think I know their name because they're anonymous. I don't know how many people that actually represents behind 70 sessions. Could be 100 people, could be 200 people, could be 300 people, I don't know. But you know what they're gonna miss out on? They're gonna miss out on watching God move in this place because they're not gonna be able to see it and experience it. And so, so coming to church is not so much about I had to go to church, it's I get to go. And it might have been a tough week, but I get to go. And I get to see God move. Years ago, um, we, we had an issue in our church where we had this uh, senior pastor, he's a primary pe- uh, preaching pastor, who was just, whew, I mean, this guy was so good, okay? He's filled with the Spirit. And God had gifted him so exceptionally. And he would start talking vulnerably about the word of God and proclaiming it. And you'd just be like, oh, right. So good. But he's so good that people started um, following on social media. And if he was going to be on vacation, they wouldn't show up at church. I heard about a famous preacher up north, I think he was in Washington for a while, where people would drive up to the parking lot and, and they would roll down the window and they'd ask the attendant in the church lot, who's preaching today? And if it wasn't the guy they liked, they'd drive off. Let me just ask you, it's okay to have your favorite preacher. It's okay to have a preference of the way you like. That's fine, great. But if you have a lower view of what God is going to do based on the person that's coming up here, how low of a view of scripture do you have to have? You, you think you think that God's power is determined by the competency? Like, are you kidding? Do you know who he chose for disciples? <laughs> These guys were morons. And he did work. He did, he changed everything through them. He chose them on purpose. He chose them on purpose so that you'd know that he chose you on purpose. So you wouldn't have an excuse of, I'm not ready, I'm not prepared, I'm not this, I'm not that. He's like, yeah, neither were they. That's not who's doing the work. I, I had a pastor friend, before he was a pastor, and uh, he, he, we went to the same church. And he was talking to me the other day about this. He said, it's, I found so crazy the work that I did. He goes, I go into service one day and I go, God, this pastor, I got nothing out of this sermon. It was awful. And then that week, I studied the scripture and I was just really in prayer and I was just really talking to God. And then by the time I got back in there on Sunday, I went in with my notepad just waiting for God to move. And I was like, this guy is amazing. And I was like, yeah, you think you got better in seven days? What changed? He did. He did. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
Our job, and this is the, this is the part of the, the four things of the corporate assembly that I, I, you, you control. Your heart work matters. Your heart work on the way in the door matters. Listen, we've all had the days where we're screaming in the car in the parking lot and then we walk in like, hey, yeah, brother, everything's great. How you approach the corporate assembly matters. The work you do during the week, waiting to hear and watch God work matters. The way you come in to prepare your heart in corporate worship matters. The way you're waiting attentively to hear God speak to whomever he's put behind this pulpit matters. Your view of the power of his word is determined by your expectancy when you walk in the door. You can say whatever you want about how you believe the Bible. But your actual view of how, in, in what regard, how highly re, you regard the word of God is determined by your expectancy when you walk in the door knowing that someone is going to proclaim the very words of God. And so if you're not getting what you want out of service, I, I would tell you there's hard work to be done on the way in the door. The way you approach Sunday morning matters. The way you approach worship on Sunday morning matters. Listen, when you get to worship, think about this. When you get to sing corporately together, when you get to worship, when you walk in the door and and you get to worship God, you get to join in with all of the saints praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords, practicing for the day we do the same thing in heaven. Do you know in heaven you won't choose the songs we sing? Do you know in heaven, you won't get to choose who you stand next to or sit next to? Or what language we sing in? Or the political affiliation of the person? Like, you don't get it. In heaven, you won't even care. That's the great thing. In heaven, you're going to come into the assembly and we're going to be so in awe of who God is and the fact that we made it. Like, whoa, we're here. You're here too. Whoa, we're just singing. And no one will be like, well, I like hymns. Great. Sing away. That's how we approach worship, because we're, we're practicing for heaven. We don't come in the door and go, oh, I don't think the worship band was really you know, in it today. I don't really like this kind of thing. The old joke is the guy who leaves service, and he catches the pastor on the way out the door after service. He's like, hey, pastor, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really enjoy worship today. And the pastor's like, well, I guess it's a good thing we weren't worshiping you. What are we doing when we come in here? We're preparing our hearts. We're singing together. I'm hearing you sing. It's amazing. It's our chance to turn our hearts toward God and prepare ourselves to receive his words and his witness and see his spirit move. How you approach preaching matters. When you are praying that God will cut you to the heart, that God will pierce you, that when you're praying, he will open your eyes to see God move all throughout the congregation around the assembly. When you're praying fervently for yourself and for his impact on others and you get to witness what he's doing and engaging in the word and giving your time and giving your attention and giving your focus, uh, you will be shocked at how powerful it is in your life. Suddenly my preaching's gonna get good and I didn't have to do anything. You did. Or you can come in and be mentally disengaged. Do you know if there's anything in 2023 that Americans are great at, it's being distracted. No? In, tw- in 2004, the average attention span of an American when looking at any sort of screen, presentation, any, any, any single source was 2.5 minutes. That's 150 seconds was your attention span in 2004. By 2007, it had dropped to 75 seconds. By 2022, it had dropped to 47 seconds. 47 seconds, and you're, you're distracted. And we're distracted. And we're distracted. And we're distracted. Since I've been preaching regularly, about 50% of the Sundays I preach, someone's cell phone goes off in the middle of a sermon. Why? Because we are addicted to our phones. Addicted. It's, it's habitual. They've done some phenomenal things. They've done some terrible things. I found myself sitting in this pew a couple Sundays ago while Vance was preaching and going, yeah, that's good, that's good. And I picked my phone up and started looking at it and went, why am I, why did I just pick this up? 
I don't even know what I'm looking for. But you have such a habit now of picking a phone up that I picked my phone up in the middle. I go, he's making a great point. I better see what's on Instagram. Why did I do that? We now have an epidemic of screen addiction in our teens. You can Google this, how bad. There's a ton of psychological studies now. In fact, under the age of 21, when kids are surveyed in that teen year, 70-something percent of them say they are addicted to their phones. They know it. It's more addictive than some narcotics. We're disengaged. We're distracted. I'm sitting here thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch while someone is proclaiming the word of God and the spirit is moving in the assembly and I'm thinking about other things. I want you, listen, I, I earnestly want you to expect God to move here. And I want you to commit to something. I want you to commit to prepare yourself. We're going to try it for next Sunday and hopefully we can make a habit of it. But I want you to commit to prepare yourself next Sunday for service and see if your experience of how the Lord moves is more deep and more enriching and more encouraging than it was previously because you put in the hard work to prepare for it. So that means I want you to personally commit to a couple things today. And if you don't, I won't know because these lights are bright. I can't even see if you're nodding your head no. <laughs> I'm just going to assume everybody agrees. That's normally the way it works, right? How can we be devoted to the apostles' teaching? How can you be devoted to the proclamation of a word that happens in the assembly? Number one, I want you to bring a physical Bible. They look like this if you haven't seen one in a while. I have a Bible app on my phone. I use it every single day. There's nothing wrong with it, but I want you to bring a physical Bible next week for service. If you don't have one, they're in the pews as well, but I want you to bring yours. So you start taking notes in it. You start, start having something tangible to look at and to focus on during the proclamation of the word. Secondly, next week, I'm going to take my phone out and we get started. I'm going to lift it up and ask you to take your phones out and we're going to power them off. (sighs) For an entire hour. We'll make it together, okay? I'm going to power them off. You don't need the distraction. You've got enough in your life that distracts you. I do too. We're going to turn them off. Third, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. After the service, I'm going to ask you to discuss the service, the worship, the need to know, the invocation, the benediction in the sermon with your family or your spouse or your friend or someone. You're just going to find someone and be like, hey, let's talk about it. Let's digest that. Let's metabolize the proclamation of the word and the assembly of the saints, and let's put some effort and energy into thinking about how God moved in the corporate assembly. I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit in level one ministry of the word. We talk a lot about, in Ephesians 5, I've talked about this, how I love the analogy that Jesus talks about um, the washing of the bride with the word, the washing of the water of the word. There's this, this weird analogy in Ephesians 5 where it, it sounds like you're, you're literally taking scripture and just pouring it over yourself. And you're just pouring it over yourself. You're being cleansed by the word. Open up your Bible. Every single day, even if you're not paying attention, open it up and pour it over yourself and pour it over yourself and pour it over yourself. Here's another level one thing we're going to ask you to do. You ready? Oh, this is going to be tough. You're going to meet someone new and ask them to coffee. I know, I know. You introverts are just right now, you're shaking. You're going to meet someone new, okay? You're going to go find someone that you haven't met with in a while. Maybe you don't even know them. You're going to introduce yourself and you go, hey, can we go to coffee? I'd love to just find out about you and encourage you. That's the only reason. You got no other agenda. I just want to find out about you. I want to get to know you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. We're not going to start a program for that. We're not going to start a ministry. You're literally just going to find somebody and be like, I don't know you. I don't know you either. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> go to coffee. Go to lunch. Go to breakfast. Go hang out. Pray for them. Get to know them. Ask them questions. Yes? Yes. Well, four or five of you at least. I want to single-handedly change the economy of coffee in this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're going to encourage somebody. You're finding someone to encourage. And then here's the thing. I want you to aim for perfect attendance on Sundays. I have no gold stars to give out. There are cookies in the coffee shop if you need a cookie for perfect attendance. All I'm saying, there are going to be reasons to miss, guys. I I understand that. But, But we're going to put a high value on the assembly of the saints. 
We're gonna be devoted to the fellowship and the apostles' teaching. We're gonna be devoted to this gathering. We're gonna come expect it to watch God move. We're gonna walk in the door knowing that God is going to change someone's life in here today and I get to watch it. There's someone that, that came to service this morning and somebody else that invited them here said, do you have a person, because like, we had the altar call, do, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? This person's been going to church for a long time and they go, I don't think I do. And I'm just like, like, do you understand how big that is? That, that God would draw someone to them and through you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, would let them meet Jesus. The Bible says that is dead bones coming alive. That is a miracle. That is God literally reaching into the grave and pulling someone who is dead in their sin out of the grave and they're walking again. He did that through you. And you get to see that occur when you come into the assembly. And we, we get to be expecting about coming and going, God's going to move. He's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to save them from their sin. He's going to put marriages back together. He's going to put families back together. He's going to restore relationships and families. He's going to reach people who are sick, who are diseased, and heal them. Like We watch that happen. We can't be ambivalent about it, church. You can't be bored like it's normal. It should be normal to watch him do things, but we should never get used to watching God do miracles. The idea that we would pass this up for some pastime or some hobby, some little league thing, some golf, some trip to the coast. Are you kidding? No way. I want to see him move. I want to see him change lives. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the next part of this, where we see them in smaller groups, uh, we're going to be talking about what it looked like to break bread in the home. We're also going to be doing our regroup, which is where we really put a focus on making sure you're connected to a small group in this church. They coincidentally happened on the same Sunday. I have no idea how that happened. Wild. We're going to talk about it, why it's critical. But you're committing, if you agree, you're committing to put in the work from now until next Sunday to prepare for Sunday morning to prepare your heart and to come in expectantly, watching and waiting and expecting to see God move in this place, in these lives. We're gonna do an altar call in just a second. And all that means is that we're gonna have our prayer team and our elders up here. We're gonna have people that wanna pray with you. We'll pray with you about anything you wanna pray about. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, as your King of kings and Lord of lords, we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to put a saving faith in Jesus and move forward with next steps. I, that, I would like nothing better. But if you just want prayer, if you want prayer for something you can't even hardly articulate, if you want prayer because you need healing, if you want prayer because you're sick, if you want prayer because of anything, we want to pray with you. This altar is open. If you want to come up and confess sin, if you want to come up and just repent, if you want to come to the altar and talk to God, we, man, this is open to you. Because where his people are gathered and where his word is proclaimed, his spirit moves in a mighty fashion, amen? So you move as the Lord leads you. We'll be here to pray with you and love on you. And we're gonna sing this song together.